Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. We are going to go ahead and get started. Uh, if you do the math, there are 12 minor prophets, and right now we have 48 minutes left in the class. So that's four minutes a uh, four minutes a book. So that's lightning speed, and I'm also going to uh, steal some time for some introductory material. So it's even less than four minutes on a on a book. So we will go ahead and and get get started on that. Uh, I picked to teach early history a few weeks ago because I felt like I knew it fairly well. Um, I chose to pick the minor prophets because I felt like I don't know it very well. And I saw it as an opportunity to try to try to, to learn on them. Uh, I was encouraged as I was reading through a complete unrelated book called Reflections on Psalms by C.S. Lewis while he's talking about him not being an expert in Hebrew or the Psalms. He says, the fellow pupil more than the master because he knows less. So I'm going to be teaching today not as a master, but as a, as a pupil uh, who didn't know much, very much about the minor prophets, which is probably true for a lot of us in this, in this room. If you think to yourself, what, uh, what of the 12 minor prophets can I be able to like tell somebody this is what it's about? Maybe, maybe one or, or two, and if you're an all-star, you know, more than that. Um, but so that's kind of where I was, and so I'm teaching you today as a fellow pupil. Um, and with the amount that we're going to be covering today, I'm probably not going to leave time for questions, because even if you did have questions, I probably couldn't answer them. So uh, it works out well on, on all accounts. So uh, before we jump to the minor prophets themselves... Uh, Bryce gave us this kind of uh, outline for the Old Testament uh, history. This is what's going on. Uh, we've got creation, patriarchs, exodus, conquest of the promised land, the kingdom through David, the division that happens after Solomon, the exile that happens to Babylon, and then the return to, uh, to Israel. The minor prophets are going to be operating during this, these last three segments right here, which we've already covered in the historical books, as well as the uh, major prophets that we talked about last week. Um, but then today, the 12 prophets are going to be operating in either the division, the exile, or the, or the return. These are the 12 prophets in order uh, in, your, in your Bible. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Some of you may be able to say these in order or sing them uh, in order. Um, if you want to impress your neighbor later, you can, you can sing it to them. These uh, are another twist, uh, a list of 12 names. Balin, Balin, Killy, Philly, Dory, Nori, Ori, Owen, Glowin, Bifer, Bofer, and Bomber. Riley, I see you talking. Do you know what these 12 names are? They do sound like names of dwarves from, from anybody? Yes, I'm here, Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit. So yes, this is specifically from The Hobbit, the predecessor to Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord, uh, the Hobbit is a very uh, short book, kind of almost intended for children that was written before Lord of the Rings. And uh, when I read uh, The Hobbit, I really enjoyed it. However, with these 12 dwarves, and there's a 13th one, uh, Warren of Oakenshield, but I kept the 12 to match up with the 12 minor prophets. Um, 
when I read the book, all of these names just kind of ran together for me. You know, you've got Dwayne and Balaam and Kiel. They all sound like dwarf names. I couldn't tell you any difference between any of them. Fortunately, the movie came out, which I'm actually not a huge fan of. But when the movie came out and you've got these 12 plus the 13th dwarf there, I could actually start to differentiate between these different, these different dwarves. You know, you've got the one who likes to eat a lot, can't hear very well, um, the, the one who's very strong and the warrior. And so after watching the movie, I was able to kind of differentiate these. Uh, that's kind of my goal today for, for us. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember, um, you guys can still hear me, you'll be all right. Um, when I was a kid, there was a pastor who was messing with a guy in the uh, congregation, and he uh, challenged him. You know, he said he was very quick at finding things in the Bible. He's like, okay, find me Hezekiah, Hezekiah 3.2. So he gets his Bible out, and he's looking around, going to get Hezekiah. And then after about a minute, uh, the pastor, you know, notifies him there is Hezekiah uh, in the Bible. But with our familiarity with the, uh, with the minor prophets, it's like, it's got a Z in there. It ends with I. Uh, it's probably in there. It sounds like a, a minor prophet. Um, but in fact, Hezekiah is not, is not in there. So my goal today, as I said, uh, after going through these, that you might get a little bit of differentiation so that these don't just sound like that's probably a minor prophet name, um, but to be able to tell maybe a little bit about each of these, each of these books. My second goal... On this slide. And this slide I stole completely from a, uh, an article on Desiring God from 2017 written by Matthew S. Harmon entitled, How the Minor Prophets Help Us Enjoy Jesus. And he says, uh, there are six ways that the minor prophets can be used for maximum joy. One is that we would discover the character of Christ. Um, in the minor prophets, uh, we, can see, we can see Christ as a jealous husband who loves and longs for his wife, the bride. We can see that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, but he will also not clear the guilty. A second thing that we see that helps us uh, maximize our joy in Christ is it uncovers the horror of the sin for which Jesus died. We're going to see a lot of sin, and we're going to see a lot of condemnation of that, of that sin. God will certainly judge, uh, judge the sin. Anticipate a real day when Jesus will judge the world. In several of these books, it talks about a coming Messiah. It talks about a new kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And it points towards this anointed one uh, who is going to be Jesus, who will judge the world. In this new kingdom, the fourth thing is to recognize the king of kings. Jesus is this anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is this promised new king. Fifthly, I uh, hope that we can appreciate the beauty Salvation. Um, God has been working throughout history to orchestrate our salvation and has gone to great lengths for that. And lastly, remember we have Jesus' spirit living in us. Um, Joel talks about his spirit being poured out, God's spirit being poured out on us um, during, this, during this new covenant. So with all of that in mind, let me pray for us, borrowing many words from the article itself. Father, as we look in the minor prophets and we see the character of God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred with fresh wonder that you took on flesh and you dwelled among us. As we see the depths of our own sin, let our hearts be prompted to confess 
and turn away from them, as we see the awful judgment that our sin deserves and that Jesus experienced in our place, let our hearts be moved with gratitude. As we meet the all-powerful, perfectly righteous King of kings, let us tremble at his holiness and his authority and submit ourselves totally to his lordship. As we look at the promises of salvation that we now experience through the work of Jesus, let our hearts be filled with greater joy and assurance. And as we see the promises of the Spirit, let that same Spirit be witness to our heart that we are children of God, heirs of an eternal inheritance. Would you please bless this time into It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, on the front page of your handout, you've got this exact timeline up here. Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, you got a different timeline from uh, Bo Johnson, and some of the times are going to be are going to be different. Uh, I feel passionately about any of the times that are actually on this list up here. Part of the reason for that is because some of, the of some of these books is very difficult to uh, to nail down, and there's different dates that are. Um, so if you want to say it's 7, you know, 32 instead of, you know, 642, I'm, I'm fine with that. You can go ahead and make that change uh, in the timeline, and you can match it up with what, what Bo gave. The main reason why I wanted to use this graphic that I used uh, off the internet is because it breaks down the 12 prophets into the, uh, the recipients of the prophecy. There are four different nations that are going to be receiving the prophecy. We see Nineveh, we see the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and then we also see Edom. Uh, and that's actually how I'm going to be breaking it down for us today. So rather than going through uh, from Hosea to Malachi, like we saw earlier listed in bullet point form, we're actually going to go through the 12 prophets, breaking it down into the recipients of the, of the prophecies. Um, so the first one that we'll be covering uh, is Nineveh. And on the, left, on the left side, you see the kingdom divided. To remind you of the, uh, of the little uh, new, uh, mnemonic device that uh, Bryce gave us, is around 2000 BC. These are rough dates. Around 2000 BC, we've got Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Around 1500, take that back. That was, that was supposed to be, uh, that's supposed to be Abraham. So around 2000, you've got Abraham. Around 1500, you've got Moses. Around 1000, which you see on the left-hand side, uh, is uh, David. Around which is the uh, orange mark right there, is the exile of, of Israel to, to Babylon. So if you'll remember, uh, the kingdom was split uh, after Solomon when Jeroboam and Rehoboam took over, where you got the ten tribes on the north, which is going to be Israel, and the two tribes on the south, which is going to be Judah, who will be receiving the, the great majority of the, uh, of the prophecies here. So we're going to go from top to bottom dealing with those four different nations who are receiving the prophecies, uh, the first one being Nineveh. Uh, we've talked about Jonah before, and then we've also got Nahum. These are going to be the two prophets who are going to be speaking to Nineveh. In the map here, you can see how far away Nineveh is, and Nineveh is part of the Assyrians uh, who are taking over, um, taking over the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, if you want to try to remember it, Jonah, you know, Jonah speaks to Nineveh, Jonah, Nahum, so you got Jonah and Nahum are the two prophets who are talking to, to Nineveh. 
Um, with each of these prophets uh, that I'm going to put up on the screen, there's going to be this uh, picture that comes from an app you can get on Android uh, called OT39. They also, they've also got NT27. They make up these pictures that kind of help remember a little bit uh, to match the name up with the, with the picture. Also on your slides or on your handouts, you've got uh, these pictures again from the internet of 12 different kind of standard prophets and they change the clothing or change whatever he's holding to kind of represent something from that. Uh, as you can see here, the first one's kind of funny because it's the prophet, you can't even see him, he's inside of the, uh, inside of the fish. Uh, so as we go to Jonah, we're actually not going to talk about Jonah at all. Um, even though it's probably the most for us to talk about in Jonah, we're not going to talk about it because Bryce has already talked about it for a very, very, very long time. So we're actually going to skip over Jonah to save us some time. The one thing we need to remember about Jonah is it's not about the fish. Yes, good. It's not about the fish. However, you know, conveniently in the summary that, uh, that Bryce provided, it says, this prophet reflects Israel's callousness toward blessing all the nations. After running from God, he is saved from drowning by a big fish. But it is not about the fish. Uh, underneath each of the uh, summaries, which are summaries that Bryce had given us, you'll see that there are two types of uh, verses there. The verse on the left side is a verse that I've picked out of the book that I think is a memorable or helpful verse, maybe even one that would be worth memorizing. And then the one on the right side is going to be a verse from the New Testament that is making reference back to the prophets to kind of show you the relevance of the Old Testament to, to the New Testament. Um, so quickly going over those, those two verses, uh, on the left side, you got Jonah 2.2. 2. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. And then, of course, in Matthew 12, uh, uh, Jesus referencing Jonah. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, as I promised, we're not going to talk about Jonah, because you know about it. So, we're going to go on to the ones that you don't know about. So, the second one is Nahum. Nahum is writing around the 7th century BC, um, shortly before uh, Nineveh falls. The summary of Nahum is the prophet foretells the destruction of Nineveh, the capital of mighty Assyria. As in the picture, you can see the waters coming through and kind of wiping out the wall, which was Nahum. In this book, uh, when God prophesies that Nineveh will be destroyed. He says that a river will be overtaking it. So that's why you have this giant flow of water coming through there. In 722 BC, so if you look back at your timeline, around 722 BC, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom and took them into captivity. During this, um, there were a lot of bloody battles that took place between the Assyrians and the surrounding nations. And so because of that, God is saying that he is going to, he is going to judge the Assyrians. This book is written in the decades prior to his own fall around 612 B.C. So Assyrians took over northern kingdom around 7. 612 BC, Nineveh falls. And so this book is written just before that, and God pronounces his judgment on them. And because of that, Nineveh is never rebuilt, and Assyria is wiped from history. Some of these books, as we have time, we're going to briefly look at a couple of verses from them. So if you want to get your uh, Bible out, we're going to look at the uh, verses 1 through 8 of, of Nineveh. Sorry, of Nahum. 
I'll give you about five minutes to find the book, since we are in the Minor Prophets. Nahum. It's a short book looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his. This is the verse I highlighted for, for memory purposes. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, he dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like a fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But... Overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries, and he will pursue his enemies into darkness. There you have the brief mention of the flood that would come in uh, Nineveh. And while you're still there in chapter 1, if you want to scroll on down to chapter 1, behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Uh, without cheating, does anybody know where that's at in the New Testament? The references, the beautiful feet. How beautiful feet are those who bring the good news? Book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, the prophecies given to Nineveh. We had Jonah and Nahum. So, moving on to Israel, the northern kingdom, we have two prophets that are going to be uh, prophesying to them. We have Amos and Hosea as ah, or you can remember it as ha, you know, laughing at the northern kingdom, um, you can. Uh, here you have a map. Blue is the northern kingdom with the uh, capital area there being Samaria. Amos. In the picture, uh, you have a moose, so Amos. Um, and the moose uh, is holding a plumb line, which would be used to measure uh, if, a, if a wall is going to be uh, out of plumb or if it's going to be leaning. And in this book... That he's put the plumb line to, to uh, Israel, and he's found that they are lacking, that they are out of plumb, and there will be destruction that comes for them. This is around the 8th century B.C., and if you look at the uh, picture in your handout, uh, he's got a, uh, a little sheep there with him, and that's because this shepherd prophet proclaims judgment on Israel and her, and her neighbors. Oh, we're going to change out. Uh-oh. Can we just change the... Uh, Whole thing. Yes, kind good. All right, good deal. So we'll start all back over, going back to Jonah. Uh, I'm just kidding. All right, so moving along, we're talking about Amos. Uh, the summary is this shepherd prophet proclaims judgment on Israel and her, and her neighbors. Um, 
This is approximately 30 years before the Assyrians were to come in 722 BC. So Israel has not been yet taken over by, by Assyria, but it's promising that the Assyrians would be coming. It starts by speaking out against other nations in the surrounding area of Israel, and then it starts to kind of close in on Israel itself. It talks about impending judgment for religious hypocrisy and for neglecting, for neglecting, the, neglecting the poor. Uh, it speaks of the day of the Lord, which several of these prophets will talk about, uh, this day of the Lord, that it would not be a miraculous time necessary to look forward to for them. Instead, it's going to be a time of judgment that it's coming uh, upon them. I wanted to, uh, to read out of chapter 5 of this book. So if you want to turn to uh, Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. I'm going to cheat and do it electronically so I find it faster. Amos 5, verses 18 through 24. 5, 18 through 24. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is, it not, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offerings of your fattened calves, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But... Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is a part of the, the memory, uh, the notable verse that I, I put up here. It's so uh, almost in, insulting or hurtful, you know, for God to say to them, this, this, these songs that you're singing, the, the music that you're making skillfully on your harp, it's a noise. Take it away from me. Your solemn assemblies, it, it's bothering me so much. It hurts my ears. Take it away. Instead, what I wanted from you was to let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But they were not doing that. They were full of hypocrisy. They were full of injustice. They were full of unrighteousness, but then would still hold their feasts, go to the temple, make their songs, and God says, this is, this is uh, an abomination to me. I don't want to hear it uh, anymore. In reference from the uh, uh, New Testament in Acts 15, says, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Which is a reverence, reference to Amos 9:11 through 12, which we kind of start to see this opening up of the gospel of the of the gospel to all the nations, to even the even the Gentiles, which obviously they started to struggle with um, in in Acts. So that's Amos, the Amos. Uh, second is uh, second one person prophesying to Israel is Hosea. Um, before this class, if you had asked me to give a summary of any of the books, I could have only done Jonah and, and Hosea, which may be true for some of you as, as well. Um, the, the memorable part of Hosea is obviously Gomer, the, uh, the woman of prostitution. 
The summary is God has this prophet symbolize Israel's unfaithfulness by marrying a prostitute. So on the picture that you have up there, you have a uh, woman in her pink prostitute scarf, I guess, uh, with a hose going all the way around her. Uh, the memorable thing being Hosea, um, and the, the woman there is obviously supposed to be, be Gomer. Again, this is uh, in the northern kingdom. This is shortly before the Assyrians uh, are to come. And the most memorable thing, as I said, is Hosea with Gomer. I'd like to read, again, a portion of this. So if you want to go to the first chapter of Hosea, and go back two books from where you were, Hosea chapter 1, and look at verses 1 through 3. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. In case you're wondering, that's how we find some of the dating of these, of these books. Verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, brace yourself, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, two reasons why this is memorable. It, it's one, to hear this command for Hosea, the man of God, to go and to marry a, a woman of prostitution, a woman of whoredom. There's uh, speculation as to whether she was already a prostitute at that time or just she had an adulterous heart and so then after they got married she would be um, whoring after other men. Um, but um, regardless of that, this instruction that God knows that this is going to be a, a woman of, of prostitution that then instructs the man of God to marry her, that's, that's shocking. The other shocking part of that is when we... The, 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 uh, Gomer is a picture of Israel, but also when you read it, you can read yourself in there. You can read yourself as Gomer, the one who will wander after other lovers when you have Jesus Christ who, is, who has died for you and loves you very much, and he is the one who we are supposed to be worshiping and giving our all, but instead we start to run after after other things. And to see this picture uh, brought out this way, um, it really really hits home. We'll go to uh, chapter 3 of Hosea and read verses 1 through 5. Uh, this is after Hosea has gone after other men, and Hosea, as a picture of Christ, runs after uh, Gomer and redeems her. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I also, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return, this is the return in the timeline, and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness and in the latter days. Let us, let us heed those, those warnings. Let us 
return to the Lord, let us appreciate and worship God uh, as being, being pictured here in the life of, of Hosea. In a reference from, from Matthew 2, uh, it says, And remain there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. Uh, I called my son. So this is from Hosea 11, uh, speaking of, of Christ. All right, moving on to the uh, third section, which is the uh, greatest uh, in length um, section, talking to uh, Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, we have several prophets there, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Uh, again, not worry too much about the dates themselves on some of these, particularly Joel, for example. As you can see in there, it says sometime between the 9th and 4th centuries uh, BCs. There are different reasons to try to date them either way. For me, when I saw this picture, this was the most memorable for me, and hopefully this will probably stick with me the longest. So in the, in the, you got a bowl of, of jelly, which kind of sounds like Joel, and you got two locusts uh, who are eating, eating the jelly. So Joel is about these uh, locusts. The summary being this prophet speaks of God's judgment through locusts, though this may actually symbolize enemy soldiers. Uh, and in the picture in your handout, he's got locusts all around him uh, as well. Does anybody remember back in 2004, like the giant invasion of cicadas that, that we had? Okay, I see two hands and a couple nods, more hands. All right. Um, so, yeah, I was in college, and I, I remember uh, at the time in Bloomington, there just being like piles of cicadas all over the sidewalk and everywhere. And like there was just constant hum for like weeks of just these cicadas. And before, when I had read uh, about the, the plague of, of locusts and coming in, I was like, I, don't, I really don't feel like it'd be that bad. But after the cicadas came, I was like, ah, I get it. And then take that and put it in a, uh, in a farming context, you know, horrible. So anyways, here in uh, Judah, locusts had recently, before uh, Joel was writing, had recently come to, uh, to Judah. So this is very fresh in their mind. It's probably the same cicadas that we had uh, in 2014. They'd hibernated all this time, and they were, you know, the exact same ones. Joel uses this to prophesy uh, about locusts, locusts that will come again in the form of God's army, bringing judgment on, on Judah. God says he will ultimately deliver, though, in response to their repentance. If you look at the uh, memorable verse there on the left, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This is a common theme with the minor prophets where you see uh, destruction. God prophesies destruction to them, calls out their sin, and he then says to them, repent, come back to me. And not in the form of the solemn assemblies and all the music and all the sacrifices that you want, want to make. Don't just rend your garments in sorrow over your sin. I want you to rend your hearts instead. And so that's an important lesson for us as well when we need to repent from our sin, that we don't just do an outward repentance or we try to make up for our sin or, you know, try to do a, a, enough things to, to make up for it. Instead, we rend our hearts. And we can return to the Lord our God for he is gracious and he is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. In the uh, New Testament reference, he speaks of the restoration and the pouring out of his spirit, which we referenced early, earlier on. In Acts 2.17, it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Coming from Joel 2, 28. Moving along, uh, Micah, again, to the southern kingdom, around 8th century B.C. Uh, this one's a little bit of a stretch here, but uh, on the left side of your screen, you see a, uh, a mic. And so that's Mike for Micah. Uh, and then this, the scene here is court. And the person who is on the stand uh, is like the sun representing the day. So the, the, the phrase for this is a day in the court. Uh, this is uh, a day in the court for, for Israel. And the little picture that you have on your handouts is somewhat more memorable because it's kind of funny that the prophet is, uh, is naked here. Uh, no, no clothes in the other pictures because in the book of Micah, um, that it, uh, we see that Micah goes naked for some time to show his, his mourning, uh, which is not, he's not the only person to do that. Uh, Isaiah had done that uh, as well. Um, the summary, this prophet denounces wicked Israel, but also promises future restoration through a ruler who will be born in, in Bethlehem. At this time, the leaders and the prophets were promoting injustice, when in fact God had put them in place to promote justice. And so he's calling them to their day in court, calling them out for their, for their injustice. The leaders uh, and the prophets at the time had been taking bribes and had been oppressing the poor. They were, in fact, selling the land of the poor um, that was not to, be, not to be sold. And so God said that there would be judgment coming on them. One of the most memorable uh, verses uh, from the uh, minor prophets and definitely from Micah is uh, Micah 6.8, which you have there. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? If you're looking for a life verse, this can be a helpful one. Kind of boils down what your life is to be about. To do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Which, I don't know if anybody else grew up in the 90s. Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, he had a song, The Walk, Signs of Life. Anybody? Nobody? Yes, okay, good. I thought I might see your hand, David. Yeah, good. Uh, we grew up in the same youth group, and so same, same music. Um, anyways, he's got a song called The Walk, and it, I won't sing it for you, but it talks about doing justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God. Um, so then the, the New Testament ver verse is hope for a leader to come, to come through. Uh, Matthew 2, 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, shall, who, will shepherd, who will shepherd my people, which comes from Micah 5.2. So when you're reading in the New Testament and it says, you know, as it is written or to fulfill prophecy, sometimes that's pointing to the, uh, to the minor prophets. So these minor prophets are, uh, are a major deal sometimes. Um, moving on to Zephaniah, who was around the 7th century B.C. Uh, in the graphic up there, you see a big Z with a fan. So Z fan Naya, um, and you see the bright sun with the Lord. Again, talk, this one's going to be talking about the day of the Lord. Many of the prophets do talk about the day of the Lord. This is one of the prominent things in Zephaniah. Again, believe it or not, judgment on Israel for forsaking God and following after, uh, after nations. If you're paying attention, there's a, a theme here. Judgment uh, is on the, on the other nations uh, around them, but he does promise to pour out wrath. Uh, last week when I read scripture up there, it was Psalm 75, and it talked about um, the, the wrath of God being like in a wine glass that was going to be poured out. This is the wrath that he speaks of. However, eventually, God will redeem Israel and the other nations, uh, which is an interesting note. Um, in the, the New Testament, 
The New Testament verse right there uh, from Revelations 4, it says, These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless, coming from Zephaniah 3. Um, and then Zephaniah 3, 17, the memorable verse, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. I find this to be powerful in the setting of these minor prophets when God is calling out Israel, calling out Judah, calling out the other nations for their wickedness, calls them to repent, and then he says, God is in your midst. He will save you. He will rejoice over you. He will quiet you by his love. He will sing over you. This is not after they've returned that God is saying to this right now. This is while they are in their sin saying, judgment is coming upon you, yet there is a time when I will be singing over you. So when you and I are in our sin and when we are struggling, this is when God is saying to us, repent, I am here to sing over you and to quiet you with my love. This is the kind of God, um, and this is the kind of God that serves in this day of the Lord. Ultimately, um, God prophesies, uh, prophesying this fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant when all of the nations are being blessed through, through Abraham. Moving on to uh, Habakkuk. Um, in the image up here, uh, so from the 7th century B.C., in the image up here, you got a guy up there with ha on his backpack. So that's ha backpack, Habakkuk, you got it. Uh, he is standing on a tower that has a bunch of watches on it. Therefore, it is a watchtower. So Habakkuk is standing on the watchtower, which is what he does in this, in this book. In the summary, God uses, uh, God's use of a wicked nation to judge Israel perplexes this prophet who nevertheless trusts God. What's interesting about this book uh, of Habakkuk, you can see also in the picture, he's kind of focused away, looking out. This one is not uh, God's oracles given uh, against other nations per se, but in this, we, we see God and Habakkuk talking back and forth to each other, not God talking out to, to other, other nations. And so uh, in this, um, uh, in this, Habakkuk complains to God. He says, the Torah is being neglected. There's violence and there's injustice, and we have corrupt leaders. And God says, I know, don't worry, I'm sending Babylon, and they're going to come judge Judah for the Torah being neglected, this injustice, and these corrupt leaders. And then Habakkuk says back to God, Babylon? Babylon's, you know, extremely evil. Why are you sending them over here to, to bring out this, or to to bring retribution, this injustice. God says, ultimately, they will, be, they will be judged as well. That's the answer that he gives. And then ultimately beyond that, he says that God will save his people through the anointed one, which looking forward to, to Christ. Now, uh, looking at the, uh, the two verses that I have there, uh, this first one is Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Uh, I really love these three verses, and uh, a little bit of context, I know I need to keep moving, but uh, John Piper, when he got married, uh, this is their, their marriage verse that was read during, during their wedding, which is not a very, like, happy, you know, like flowers and sunshine and rainbows, you know, kind of verse. Uh, it's it, it's kind of sour uh, at the, the beginning of it, but he said this is what he wanted their, their life verse to be for their marriage. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And so Piper's intent was whatever happened in their lives and in their marriage, didn't matter if they were rich or they were poor, they would find joy in, in Christ. And I really enjoy going back to this verse when I feel like there are no, no fruit on the trees and, and no, no fruit on the, on the vines. I can still rejoice in the Lord, and he will make my hind feet like deers, putting them on high places. Romans 1.17, we, we get the, uh, the famous words there from Habakkuk 2. For in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Moving on to Haggai, and we are pressed for time. Uh, we see a guy hugging the eye. So Haggai, we got Haggai. And in the uh, back of the guy hugging the eye is uh, the temple, basically. And so this is um, talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem's temple. So we see a shift in time period here. This is now after, uh, after the exile, and this is the first return of the exiles. So the exile uh, happened around 586 B.C. when Jerusalem was restored. And then here around 520 B.C. Uh, or so, um, the, first, the first group of Israelites are returning to the area. And this is when Haggai is writing. Summary, after Israel's exile, God urges his people through his prophet to rebuild Jerusalem's temple, which is why in the picture in your handout, you see him with a, with a mallet and some uh, wood down there laying down a good foundation. Um, once the exile had returned uh, around 520 or so from Persia, they started tending to their own houses when they got back instead of tending to the temple. So their houses started looking really good. However, the temple itself was still in disrepair. Um, so Haggai was telling them that they need to rebuild the temple. He also says that their impurity and their lack of repentance keeps them from blessing that God wishes to pour out on them. Um, he prophesies that God will build a new Jerusalem in the future where their Messiah will, will rule from. Uh, memorable verse, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Um, you can read the other verse on your own. For time's sake, we're going to move on to uh, Zechariah. We have another Z here, and uh, the Z is crying. Z, cry, Zechariah. Uh, in the background, you see the Messiah. Uh, this is again after the exile um, and after the return. This prophet sees several visions of the future and speaks of a suffering leader to come in Israel's future restoration. This is a long book full of multiple visions uh, that uh, Zechariah receives uh, in the form of, of dreams. Um, in this, he tells them, uh, he tells Judah, the Israelites, not to be like their forefathers. God wants to bless them if they will be, if they will be faithful. He has visions of the new Jerusalem. He sees the end of the 70 years of exile and says that after that, there would be this coming kingdom, this new Jerusalem. However, the timing on that is not specific in that as soon as the 70 years is over, now you have the new Messiah, you have the new kingdom with, with that new king. That's not the way it's rewarded, worded. It just says after 70 years of exile, then sometime in the future, you would have this new Jerusalem. Speaks judgment on other nations and invites them to blessings. We have this promise of the Messiah to come who will reign in the new, in the new kingdom. 
Um, let's move on to Malachi, and we are just about done. Malachi, which is uh, actually the last book in the, uh, in the New Testament, and it'll be a good one for us to end on, but not going to. It's got one more book to, to cover, somewhat anticlimactic. But uh, Malachi up here, you see the, the, heart, of, the heart of stone uh, with the mallet hitting it. So that's Malachi on the heart of stone. This prophet bemoans the wickedness of Israel and her priests after the return from exile, but he speaks of one who will come to refine God's people. So after the exile and after people have returned to Jerusalem and we've rebuilt the temple, the temple is not in the same glory that it was, and this is not this like new, exciting kingdom that we thought it would be. Um, we see a series of disputes between God and the people. Um, we were going to read a few verses. We don't have time for that. But he points out to them that they have not loved him. They have offered poor sacrifices, uh, and they're bringing to him sacrifices that are, have blemish and that are, that are sick, and they think that that's going to be good enough when they're holding back um, sacrifices for, them, for themselves. They have turned against God, and there is divorce um, of, their, of their wives. They have not given the tithe to the temple, so they have kept that for themselves. So uh, it is ordered that a, a scroll of remembrance will be written for the faithful, remem- for the faithful remnant uh, with promises to redeem through this Messiah who would ultimately end up coming uh, four to 500 years later. Uh, we, see, uh, the, we see the verse from uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We are obviously against a prosperity gospel where you give you know, everything you can and, and God's going to you know, make you rich and have no sickness um, and you're going to have the right number of kids that you want to have and they're all going to obey. Um, however, we do see that there is a blessing that God has for us when we do not hold back in, in giving to him. Uh, Matthew eleven ten, we see this promise of, of, uh, of the messenger who is Elijah to come. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And so with the ending of the Old Testament, uh, we see this expectation of a messenger that would, that would come. All right, ending on an anticlimactic note, uh, the last uh, nation that is being prophesied uh, to is Edom, uh, which is outside of, outside of Israel. Um, does anybody know another word for, for Edom, who the, the forefather is of that? Starts with an E. Somebody said it. Esau, yes, good, Esau. So this is the, uh, the, the, the division here between Jacob and Esau. Obviously, Jacob, you've got all of Israel coming from that, and then Edom uh, coming from, from Esau. There continues to be this, this strife between the two, and there continues to be this blessing on Israel with a, a curse on, on Edom, or on Esau, because of what uh, he had done in choosing uh, and not choosing God. Summary, this prophet denounces Edom for oppressing uh, Jerusalem. Oh, explaining the picture, you've got O with the bed underneath it, Obed, and then put the I on there, so you go Obadiah. Uh, that's supposed to be Jacob and Esau. One should have red hair, but he does not. Um, so, and one's too hairy. But you've got two brothers there, and the key is supposed to be uh, keeper, brother's keeper. So in this, uh, in this 
Esau is being called out for their, uh, their indignation toward, toward uh, Israel. And also, in fact, when Israel was being attacked, uh, Edom helped the other nations as they were taking over a siege on Jerusalem. And so there is this prophecy against them. Links the sins uh, of Edom to other nations and also prophesies that all nations were going to be brought under a new king in a new kingdom. Ending on the last memorable verse, chapter 1, verse 4. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So uh, those are the 12 prophets in 48 minutes or less. Um, And hopefully, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hopefully, if you were able to, you know, summarize one, two, three, you know, four minor prophets before uh, or say something notable about them, maybe now you're able to say a couple more books with something notable, um, notable from them. And I do hope that you'll have a greater appreciation for the minor prophets and that it is part of the Bible. It is how God has spoken to us is through the minor prophets. And we see Christ and the other writers uh, and the writers in New Testament make many references to this. And so there are many key verses that we can pull from the minor prophets and use for our own lives to maximize our joy. No time for questions. Perfect. Let me uh, pray for us. God, you are so good, you are so loving, and we thank you for giving us your, your word. Uh, it can be complex at times, it can be confusing at times, it can be harsh at many times, but it can also be very comforting. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, instruct us uh, throughout this week as we encounter um, your word, whether it be in the minor prophets or in the gospels or in the psalms, would you please speak to us through your word? As we move into uh, a worship hour, um, would the things that we have thought on now, would they continue to percolate in our minds and down to our hearts and enhance our worship and ready us to receive um, communion and also ready us to receive uh, your word that you would preach this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.